Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Dave Kasker. Dave is a member and longtime tour guide at the Johnstown Flood Museum. Let's hear what he has to say about the tragic flood of Johnstown. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. I'm glad to be here. Glad to meet you finally. <laughs> Same. Um, so how long have you been a tour guide at the museum and what sparked your interest in, in the Johnstown flood? Well, to answer the first question, uh, this fall, I think September or October, will, will mark the end of my 30th year there. <laughs> wow. So uh so it's been a while. What sparked my interest was well I grew up here and I vaguely knew the history of the town, the, you know the, the 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 various floods, the steel industry, etc. But it wasn't until um well I became a teacher uh, after the mil- after the serving in the navy, I became a teacher and ended up teaching internationally. So I, I lived in Berlin when the wall was still up. I lived in Istanbul. I lived in Yemen. I lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, and so in li- living in historic places made me realize how much I don't know. <laughs> and yeah. And uh, when I came back here, it just seemed obvious to, you know, fill in all the blanks. And so then I became associated with the museum and just, you know, continued learning 
all through the years. So could you tell us a little history um, uh, on Johnstown, Pennsylvania? Uh, when was it established and what was life like there during the, those times? This area in general was uh, part of the Treaty of Fort Stanwix that the English basically negotiated with the local uh, Native American tribes uh, so that uh, European settlers could come here and farm and, and, and so on. Johnstown was officially founded by Joseph Johns, which is how it gets its name, of course, in 1801. He purchased what had been sort of a settlement uh, and made it formally, laid out streets and and sold lots and uh, that sort of thing. The Native Americans prior to him had used it as a hunting camp. They did not have a, a, a regular village here or you know uh, because basically they knew it flooded frequently and and they knew better than to have us you know a, a permanent encampment but they used it as a hunting place um but joseph johns laid out the streets as i said and and so it it gradually developed there were also lots of natural resources there was iron there was coal timber uh, and um Eventually, the Pennsylvania Canal ran through Johnstown. So it developed into an industrial revolution town eventually uh, because the resources were here. So they had all the natural resources they needed for the early iron industry and including the transportation to get, you know, people in and and products out. So how used to flooding were the residents of Johnstown? You mentioned this uh, a little earlier. There are two rivers that drain into Johnstown that drain not quite 700 square miles of mountainous terrain. And it's almost like a funnel because they join in Johnstown uh, and exit through the deepest gorge in the eastern United States. Uh, so, you know, seven almost 700 square miles funnels into Johnstown and squeezes out through the gorge. So Johnstown, therefore... Uh, tended to flood fairly frequently, uh, even in the old days. But in the Industrial Revolution days, there was a lot of, um, well, there was a lack of care for the rivers. Uh, they allowed uh, brush and under, you know, underbrush to grow up. They they threw trash over the riverbanks. Uh, they created small dams for a variety of things like grist mills and so on. Uh, and so the rivers were carrying even less than they could have and they should have carried. Uh, so that resulted in spring floods uh, of those sort of ankle deep, shin deep variety. And uh, because of that, that resulted in a kind of a local complacency. Okay. Another spring flood, you know, okay, we'll clean up in the morning. And um, that contributed to the 1889 flood because when warnings came through, people said, Oh, you know, it's another spring flood. Another one. And even when things got worse and more serious warnings came through, it was not really regarded too seriously. It was almost like, oh, I've heard those warnings a million times before, oh, you know. and mm. So could you give us a little background on the dam itself? Uh, what was its purpose for being built and uh, how many owners did it have? There was 
the Pennsylvania, I mentioned before that the Pennsylvania Canal came through Johnstown and between here and where our river dumps into the Allegheny River, which leads down, of course, to Pittsburgh uh, and the Ohio and ultimately the Mississippi, the state discovered that the canal between here and the Allegheny had low water often enough that they, they went to the expense of building a dam up in the mountains. And that was a very safe dam. Uh, it had a, a, a multiple, multiple safety precautions uh, involved with it. And I can go into more detail about that if you want. But that was the original dam. Mm. Um, it took, on the canal, it took about nearly five days to, to travel between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And when the railroad, when the Pennsylvania Railroad managed to get over the mountains by way of the Horseshoe Curve, uh, it cut the travel time to 15 hours. So would you would you travel five days in a narrow canal boat, or would <laughs> or would you travel 15 hours in, in a rail car? Uh, I don't know. How <laughs> good's the food? <laughs> uh, I tease when I have when I have a, a school field trip, and especially younger kids, I tease them. Do you want to spend your you know five days in a in a narrow canal boat with all your classmates and your teacher? <laughs> <laughs> and I get lots of rolled eyes, of course, but um, the uh, the railroad put the canal out of business very quickly, and then the the railroad purchased the canal properties as a package deal from the state. The, the state would not sell pieces here and there. They said it's a, it's a package deal; it's all or nothing. And the railroad did not want that dam. It and it did not take care of it. And, and eight years later, it failed from neglect. Then it sat mm. there for another 17 years as a broken dam before the Club of Millionaires purchased the property with the idea of having a mountain resort, get away from, you know, smoky, dirty, noisy Pittsburgh. And and this is the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. That's correct. The, okay. And yeah, who were these owners? How How did they end up acquiring the dam? It was... A, a, a small mountainous town near here named Crescent and, and one near there named Galitzin, they were kind of a, a a resort area for the rich and famous back then. Famous people like Andrew Carnegie and others had homes, summer homes up in the mountains there. They were offered this property with the broken dam on it because Crescent and Galitzin did not have a body of water. And, and uh, they, they were intrigued by the idea of being able to go boating and fishing and, and, and so on. And apparently, this is my best assumption, they just assumed that built, rebuilding that broken dam would be easier than starting from scratch. However, they hired a guy who had no experience with, with building dams to do the work for them. Um, <laughs> so, um, their concept was a mountain resort, essentially the Pennsylvania railroad main line traveled through this area, but it, it went out a different river Valley. And so for about three miles from the location of the dam, they had to take horse drawn carriages. And so when, when they hired this contractor, they ordered him to rebuild the dam uh, three feet lower than it was engineered for. The dam was about 
not quite 300 feet thick at the base and only 10 feet wide at the top. It was like an, you know, a triangle, uh, you know, mm. because the pressure at the base is higher than at the, at the top. They wanted the, the top of the dam to be wider to um, um, allow their carriages to cross so they could get their building materials and furniture and so on uh, across in those horse-drawn carriages. Uh, uh, so, wow. Uh, uh, and there were others. They Their contractor neglected all the other safety precautions that the what I'll call the canal dam originally had uh, that disappeared. Mm. Um, so... Yeah. So could you walk us through the um, events that occurred on the afternoon of May 31st, 1889? Okay. The storm actually started the day before, and it was recorded uh, even then as uh, the worst uh, storm in in local history. Um, And the ground had already was already saturated because May of that year had been one of the wettest on record. And then this storm comes in the lake behind the dam that the, that the club owned was 500 acres. And it was uh, on the day of the storm. uh, It was rising and that lake was rising an inch every 10 minutes, 500 acres, an inch every 10 minutes. The local manager uh, that they had hired brought in workers to try to um, prevent the dam from failing uh, because he, he knew it was weak, let's put it that way. The the workers eventually gave up on that and retreated to the hillside. So we actually had eyewitnesses when it failed eventually. Water went over the top of the dam around 11.30 in the morning because it had no other way out because they hadn't attended to any safety features. So it went over the top of the dam around 1130 and then ate down through the poor reconstruction. And and one of the eyewitnesses um, said that at around uh, around three in the afternoon, the two sides of the dam opened up like saloon doors. Those are his words. Wow. So that's when the lake came down the valley. It varied from about 30 feet deep to over 90 feet deep, depending on the width of the valley. And therefore the speed uh, varied as well. The the wave arrived in Johnstown just after four in the afternoon, but Johnstown had already flooded. The two rivers here had already overflowed. And at first Johnstowners were almost joking about it, uh, you know, going fishing on Main Street because, you know, they, they thought it was just another spring flood. As, as things got worse and worse, the water got deeper and deeper, they went to safety, as, as secure a situation as they could imagine that they needed. So in the end, when the wave, from the wave of water from the dam arrived just after four, most people were already in some sort of secure situation, uh, whatever they imagined secure to be. Okay, some was not very secure, but... Uh, but if it had been a beautiful sunny day, uh, a nice spring day, uh, and the dam had failed, and people were out going about their normal business, walking the dog or kids in the playground and that sort of thing, I think we would have lost a lot more lives. Uh, wow. So the fact that Johnstown had the worst spring flood it ever saw uh, before the dam even broke uh, probably saved a lot of lives. So then are there any 
accounts from survivors of what it must have been like to witness and and live through um the you know the the wave hitting Johnstown yes there there are some of the survivors actually wrote books about it uh, a presbyterian minister named beale his church his uh, actually became one of the morgues uh, and so he had kind of first hand experience not only did he live in the city but you know he was dealing with the casualties as well my favorite story about of a survivor is a boy uh, named Victor Heiser. He was 16 at the time, and Victor's family owned a a dry goods store just where the the flood water, uh, w- where the wave from the dam arrived in town. His his building, uh, his family home was and store was uh, one of the first buildings destroyed. Actually, he. As the water in the town was already rising, his father had sent him out to the stable uh, to release horses. In those days, you were allowed to have farm animals in the city, which uh, contributed just a little bit uh, to the death toll afterwards because of the sanitation issues and so on. But uh, Victor was in the stable. He saw his home destroyed, and he and his the stable was destroyed. But he floated away on almost like a raft, a piece of the stable. Um, he lived to the age of 99, and when David McCullough was writing his uh, book on the flood, he interviewed Victor Heiser, and there's a wonderful recording of Victor talking about, you know, his experience. Uh, he had gone out to the stable with no shoes on, and so, you know, he has a pair of ragged pants and a t-shirt, basically, and and uh, and he describes floating on a wave and he he can see that his wave is going to be sucked down by another wave. So he then he has to jump to another piece of floating material. And he describes doing that three or four times before whatever he was floating on crashed into the second floor of a house. And the people inside threw out a blanket and dragged him through the second floor window. And obviously he survived. He lived to the age of 99. Uh, and <laughs> wow. he became a doctor treating contagious diseases. Uh, <laughs> so his, his story is my favorite. So you mentioned that, first of all, uh, the the death toll was massive in this yes. um, disaster. And you also mentioned there were um, contributing factors after the fact. So are, are you saying there were uh, deaths after the flood? Yes, yes. The official death toll... The National Park Service and I and others agree that the 2,200 number is a best estimate. We know for a fact that bodies were washed downstream. In fact, 17 years later, a, a Johnstown flood victim's body was was discovered buried in the mud outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. So uh, we, obviously, that was not the only person's body who that was washed downstream. They all, the Relief Commission also stopped uh, counting in October of 1889. So if you caught a, a disease from all the contamination, you know, people were still using outhouses. There were the farm animals. All of that waste existed prior to the flood, but then the flood water mixes it in and spreads it all around. So, oh. uh, so if, if you contracted a disease... Uh, and didn't die until November or later, 
you were not counted as one of the casualties of the flood, although even though you were. And if you were badly injured, the same thing. How, what was the relief effort like right after uh, the flood? How did Johnstown rebuild and how long did it take? The Pennsylvania Railroad lost 23 miles of track when we were on their main line. And so the relief effort, the early relief effort until the Pennsylvania could get back in operation came in through the Baltimore and Ohio. And that's how Clara Barton and the Red Cross came in. Barton had worked with the International Red Cross and she was in the process of creating an American version of it. And this was their first major disaster. So she brought in uh, something like 50 workers, uh, including medical personnel. And uh, she directed the early uh, reorganization efforts. They built warehouses and as, as supplies came in, uh, furniture, clothing, medicine, and so on. She organized the distribution of those things to, to the survivors. There was a relief commission set up and it was headquartered in, in Pittsburgh. The relief commission raised something on the order of um, $15 million in today's funds. Wow. And so they were also purchasing things like what we call the Oklahoma house because <laughs> Oklahoma didn't have enough lumber for all the new residents. Uh, so they were manufacturing homes around the Chicago area and shipping them out by train. And after our flood, 310 of them were brought here. Uh, the relief commission purchased them uh, and they were brought here. So we have one remaining uh, at the flood museum in Johnstown, uh, a, a, an original one. So those, those things happened. Lots and lots of uh, manpower, lots of donations of food and medicine and clothing and, and that sort of thing as well. We ask all of our uh, guest experts this question, Dave. At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the events that led to the Johnstown, Pennsylvania flood. Who or what would that be? I would have to say, if, if, if I have to narrow it down to, you know, kind of one concept, I would say the Gilded Age mentality. Uh, Johnstown, the terrain I've already talked about, the Industrial Revolution, uh, taking advantage of the, of the natural resources around here, and the Industrial Revolution attracting a lot of workers, including lots of immigrants. And the, so there was the crowding of the valley. But... The club exhibited no regard, essentially, for the, the hazards that already existed when, when they had this dam rebuilt by this unqualified contractor. There was no way, for example, once their dam was completed, there was no way to release water for purposes of maintenance. They had installed a metal screen in front of the, of the one spillway that they had uh, to keep their stocked fish in the lake. They imported fish from Lake Erie. And in those days, I mean, the inflation factor between then and now is 31. They paid a buck a fish. So imagine paying $31 a fish today. Uh, they wanted to keep those $31 fish in, in the lake. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, you know, their attitude of privilege, you know, we want what we want and we want it now. Uh, I would say if I have to narrow it down to something, it's that. Well, Dave, thank you so much for talking to us and, and sharing your expertise on, on this 
uh, American disaster. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. It was wonderful talking to Dave. As I was talking to him, uh, I was thinking, ooh, I think I would love to be a tour guide when I... I think that's a fun <laughs> retirement job sure, for me. Sure, <laughs> that's right up your alley. You yeah, it's awesome. a tour I of mean, all of America's tragedies. Yeah, that's right. For my <laughs> museum of tragedies. Well, there was something also very um, refreshing and just enjoyable about the fact that, you know, not only is Dave an expert in this um, in this flood, but he also is from the area. So yeah, there's just there. a sense that he cares about this material. And oh, my that God, he, yeah. You know, he understands it in a way that is a lived experience, which was just awesome for us to have. So props to Alex for finding Dave. Yeah. Um, and as we were signing off after we ended our recording, Dave was like, oh, there's something else I wanted to mention. Um, he, he mentioned that out of the 61 club members – uh, half of them contributed zero dollars to the relief effort. So just another zero. 
Zero. And they had then they had most of the dollars, so they should <laughs> at have the been, time. Yeah, <laughs> at the time they should have helped. Right. I also really appreciated that he said. That, I couldn't believe he said the Gilded Age. I like, know. Right, it's like he plucked it right off of our board. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, it was amazing. Yeah, because he hadn't mentioned it beforehand. Um, but yes, I, it, it's just fascinating to me. You know, because of the the wealth disparity at the time. Just the fact that these the the billionaires, you know, or or the of the moment, would have contributed zero when in fact it was literally the cause of it was their club. Mm-hmm. It's, infu- it's actually infuriating. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very upsetting. I that his description from like a local who said the the sides of the dam opened up like saloon doors when it finally mm-hmm. broke was very vivid to mm-hmm. me. Could imagine seeing. I mean, could you think about the size? You know, the scale of a dam. They're so large, and they're holding back so much power. So to think right. about them just like opening like a set of doors is like that's oh. the stuff of action and you, movies. And you, you know, uh, along with the Gilded Age, the and to that point of the danger of the area, it was amazing. The Treaty of Fort Stanwick comes around. The settlers settle. The natives are like, no, 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 we we don't live here. Yeah, we, we never live here. Yeah. They're like, the natives are like, this is this is a ridiculous place to live. You shouldn't settle here. No, none of us do. We hunt here. That's what we do, and then we leave. Definitely right. leave mm-hmm. because definitely it was flood. <laughs> because of the flooding. Right, and it's just funny that that sort of like manifest destiny American uh, exceptionalism. We're like. Well, it's good. fine. We'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> we're we can we're better than floods. We can handle it. We're superior. Right. Yeah. And just not to it's also to to not consider the um opinion of the experts. The right. people who have been always here always consider for, the opinion of the experts. That's why we have the aftermath. <laughs> always. <laughs> this is literally what they do. Um what you know, this is going to sound really silly, but when he described the da- like you were saying the the saloon doors opening and the dam just literally cascading or just like mm-hmm. falling out down the mountain i hadn't realized this but he said it was uh, the lake fell into the valley and i'm yeah, like right. oh that's that's what a dam is it's it's a lake <laughs> falling on top of you just yeah, think about yeah. that no, totally. That, How I, terrifying. It's funny you say that because I had written that phrase down. Uh, oh. When the lake came down the valley was was the phrase that he used, which is like, mm-hmm. that could be a song title or something <laughs> like that. It's like poetic and and extremely, uh, 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 what's the word? Terrifying? Like, yeah, terrifying evocative. and just evocative. Yeah. yeah. There's no, you can't run. Like, there, you can't run fast enough. It's a lake coming towards you <laughs> I, d- I never th- are you picturing the lake having like legs and eyes because that's what i'm picturing <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like they're not <laughs> i'm picturing the lake like full like running in a sp- with arms flailing on yeah, the side like, like trying to grab like a, me yep um uh, just fascinating mm-hmm. um i grew up near um a reservoir that had a big you know like there's a dam on one end that they would release water when it would when it was high for pressure and it was kind of we looked out into a big green belt and i spent many a days you know harkening back to this episode how the locals would kind of like envision like someday it's gonna break you know but like not really 
consider mm. the reality of it. I would spend many days in my youth and be like, what would happen? Like, where? how far would the water come if that thing <laughs> broke? Like, I could Oh, God. You were a little alarmist. <laughs> yes. I mean, luckily, it never broke. And, you know, yeah. we were, they, it was a well-maintained dam. But I also remember as a kid going, you know, we would like climb to like the release area where they would let the water out. So dangerous. Like, you oh weren't, it, there were signs that were like, don't go there because it would come <laughs> blasting out. Clayton, and you would go there? I mean, it was like a thing that you did as a kid for like a thrill, like, let's go like down in this little area and the water could come burst. I mean, it was so irresponsible. <laughs> Clayton, <laughs> I, know. I am shocked by I'm you. I'm mad at you. <laughs> yeah. I grew up and I got better. It was a child's thing. Here we child's, are. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dave just sent us a document. He had written a uh, two-page, said two-page document called The Perfect Storm where he he talks about the uh, what happened to make this Johnstown flood uh, happen. He he was talking about how in his paper, half of one page of a two-page paper, so 25% of the paper, <laughs> he talks about the context of the Gilded Age and, yeah. and the these these people with all their money and the sort of uh, wealth inequality of the time. So uh, we got to read this. Uh, yeah, after, I, after I love I'm I'm just looking over. It says, context always matters. Mm-hmm. That's like... Like a catchphrase for us too. <laughs> I think so. That's true. Um, I, I, something he said too. I, I just wanted to point out, which I feel like we failed. Maybe we we didn't fail. We we did mention something about this, but the the complacency, right, of the time. Oh yeah. We said apathy. Apathy yes. was on the board. We we were kind of uh, tiptoeing around. Yes. And we, just to remind everyone or refresh everyone, we did throw the South Fork Hunting Club um, and its members in jail, and we gave a big slap to poor maintenance. Mm, Because we're so big on poor maintenance, yeah. We are big on maintenance. So that's where we landed. Uh, The Gilded Age was on the board, but where are you at now, Rebecca? How are you feeling post-Dave? Well, first of all, I wanted to point out what Dave mentioned, which was new information that the the club had hired a guy who didn't know how to build dams yes. to rebuild the dam. I got that too. I wrote that down. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so that had happened. And that Why was. Why would you agree to that job? Why? Oh, yeah, I can figure out a dam. I've never good, done it, but sure. Good question. Yeah, that feels a li- like you should really question yourself. And also, why would you hire the guy? It was right. just like, <laughs> right. do you have any damn experience? <laughs> nah, but I think I could figure it out. Okay. Sure. You got the job. But that falls on the uh, the owners or, yeah, or the, the whoever made that call, uh, the club's management. So more evidence backing up the club. And I, here's what I think. I think, ooh, poor maintenance. I think what we should do because the Gilded Age kind of, in my opinion, folds into the club, they, they, you know, it's one and the right. other, right? Exactly. I agree. I think we should keep the club member or, or the the owners, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have in them jail. in jail, and then we slap the Gilded Age. Wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think I kind of agree with that, only because maintenance in this context as uh, we were just learning context is important. Maintenance in this context of the Gilded Age was like whatever's next, whatever's going to make us the most money. And so it has sort of a different quality, right? It's not exactly maintenance 
or lack of maintenance just out of sluggishness. It's a it's a direct lack of care or or interest in anything that won't uh, raise profits or make mm, this, this sure. group of people money. And also, what? who cares if you're maintaining a poorly constructed dam? It's just, you've already built a bad dam, so... Right. Maybe right. That's and kind it's kind of useless. It's, it's a useless dam, really, mm-hmm. um, until it's a dangerous dam. Well, okay, I, th- I, think, I think we should call it... Uh, okay. The Gilded Age, you're getting the big slap. <laughs> well, thank you, Dave, and... Thanks to you guys for, uh, I don't know, hanging out. <laughs> well, we're doing, I hope we're doing more than just hanging out. Jeez. I mean, you're welcome. Always happy like to just hang out, hang out too, but, you know, we write down little uh, well, notes. I, I, it's a weekend. It's the weekend right now, so it feels like feels a hang cash. Yeah, it yeah. feels cash. I've got weekend <laughs> vibes happening over here. Okay. This, um, this is starting to feel like we're we're not going to get paid anymore, Clayton. Is that what it's feeling <laughs> like to you? Is that your it way of like she, uh, <laughs> she yeah, needs yeah, to make yeah. some cutbacks That's, to the maintenance of this podcast? You guys have fun, right? You guys podcast? just have fun. This is just mm-hmm. for kicks. Um, <laughs> well, stay tuned. Oh, before you even stay tuned, I want to remind everyone to please rate, review, subscribe to our show. I, I, I'm telling you, I haven't seen an uptick on it. We need to uh, explain, too, that if we don't get you to do this with a carrot, we're going to have to move to a stick and we'll just... I don't know how we're going to do that. Well, maybe we'll just do bad episodes mm. or we'll do repeat episodes. Like we'll just keep doing the Johnstown flood <laughs> until you guys start rating and reviewing. Maybe we'll have to do that. I don't know if that's what we'll turn to, but Clayton, it, we, we need, we okay. need more reviews. What is, is there a late, what is the latest review? Let me, let me just pull it up. Give me a minute. Vamp. Okay, I'm vamping. Um, here's why it's important for you guys to rate and review. It puts us up. Uh, I, I don't know how a- a- Apple Podcasts works, but it, it puts us up in like the the. Ca- it's easier for people to find us the more reviews and uh, ratings we have. That's why it's so this important. Is, this is great vamping. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to explain. It's not just like I want reviews. It's like we need them. If we're and we if we're going to get more listeners and we're going to be able to keep doing episodes, this is really important. Here's a uh, a nice interview from PNW Runner 158. Fantastic show, five stars. I love this show. I haven't missed an episode since I discovered this podcast about a year ago, and I especially love the interviews with the guest experts. I'm an uh, I'm a health and safety engineer, and I perform risk assessments mm. and injury and mm. event investigations. So this is right up my alley. I've learned so much from listening to this show. Thank you for all the great episodes. This is exactly the kind of listener mm. that we expect. Yes, <laughs> that's our a hero over here. Like literally doing the good work. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that review. And please let us know what your favorite episodes are, what you know, what you like about the show. So use that in the reviews. And Clayton, Chris, Rebecca, and everyone out there, Mm. stay tuned because next week we're going to be covering the death of Lady Jane Grey. Here he goes.
powered by ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.